MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, but they've just announced that they are extending their 60-day money-back guarantee. That's right. Orders placed between now and December 25th will have their 60-day money-back guarantee extended through March 1st, 2023. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square or use the promo code Heidi to receive the MyPillow percale sheets for as low as $29.98. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. Hi, you guys. This is Heidi St. John. I'm so glad you guys have joined me here at my little corner of the internet. This is the Off the Bench podcast and today is Monday. And as you guys know, that means I'm going to answer your questions. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys, so I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving with your family. We had a really wonderful Thanksgiving this year. Lots of noise, lots of turkey, lots of lots of uh, roast beast. And uh, really, it was a Thanksgiving to remember. And I think largely because we're watching a sort of resurgence, I think, of an interest in relationships and hanging out with people. So we had a great time together. I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving wherever you were. And now we welcome the Christmas season in. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in the next couple of days talking about Christmas. Had a few of you write in and say, well, isn't Christmas a pagan holiday? So we're going to get to that sort of thing in the next uh, week or so. But today I'm going to focus a little bit on your questions that are coming in. They're really, really great questions. Thank you guys for sending me in your questions. If you would like your question addressed, you guys know how to do that. HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. You can submit it there. I want to encourage you before I jump into your questions today. A lot of you have been asking about the Homeschool Resource Center and what we're doing here. And we are really praying, prayerfully considering our next steps here at Firmly Planted Family. And if you're interested in what we're doing, I want to encourage you to follow along. We've actually got some exciting things coming up and you're going to be hearing about those in the weeks ahead. But I want to just encourage you, I suppose, with what God has been showing my husband and myself for the last several years as we've been sort of walking this thing out. You know, God gives us seasons of planting. We've talked about this here at the show before. This is absolutely true in every aspect of your life. There's a time to sow and a time to reap. And Jay and I have been for many years now, I mean, the, the nonprofit organization is, oh my goodness, over 25 years old. And we have been for many years asking the Lord to use our family and use our community to bring hope and life and healing really to a generation of students, children who really desperately need their parents to be involved in their lives. And so We started a long time ago planting homeschool cooperatives. Many of you are aware that Jay and I started over 60 of them around the United States, even a couple up in Canada and over in Germany. And the idea behind those was that it would give the churches an opportunity to open their doors to homeschool families, say, hey, we're not using our church on Fridays or we're not using it Monday and Tuesday. And so you guys can use it. And that was where we started. Well, in 2016, when Barack Obama issued his bathroom edict, it's the only thing I can think to call it. Just It just seemed like just this, you know, this edict. By the way, now you guys are going to have to open your bathrooms up to people who identify as the member of the opposite sex. And I don't care if it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I don't care if it's weird. 
Uh, this is the way it is. And it sort of turned the conversation in the country in an entirely different direction. Well, I was in Chattanooga at the time, a city that I love. I love the state of Tennessee, love Chattanooga. And Jay and I happened to be living there for several months because I had speaking engagements that were mostly out on the East Coast. And so we called a friend of ours after praying about it. We called a friend of ours and we said, hey, we don't think the homeschool cooperatives are going to be enough anymore for what's coming. Sort of the hand rating at that point was absolutely on the wall that something was shifting, it was already kind of off the rails in the public school system, but it was absolutely shifting. And so out of that, in 2016, the Homeschool Resource Center was born. And it's an amazing story. And I'm going to tell it more as I give you guys a little bit of an update as to where we're headed as a, as a nonprofit organization and where I think God is moving the ministry here. But the reason that I tell you that is I believe that God sets us apart for seasons, right? So there are seasons when we're we're sowing, sowing, sowing. There are seasons when we reap what we've sown. This is so important for you to be speaking the truth always to your children. You have a very limited time in which to sow into the lives of your children, to speak truth into your children, to um, teach them what God says about this world. It's why it's, it's so important that we don't grow weary in well-doing, right? But that we enter into this uh, this season, this precious season of parenting with the idea of, hey, we're going to see this thing through to the end. We're going to be in our kids' lives. We're going to um, encourage and love them for as long as God gives us breath, whether they're in our home or whether they've grown, we're going to love and encourage them. The same thing is true in our lives professionally. We have moments in which we can uh, sow into our businesses and then we've got however long it takes to reap what we've been sowing. There are seasons, seasons to rest. One of the things I love about winter, and it's just starting to turn winter here in the Northwest. Uh, in fact, we had a couple of freezing days and I'm the girl who's like, yeah, throw another log on the fire. Let's, you know, let's uh, serve a, a piping hot cup of hot cocoa. And I'm going to sit in front of that fire and turn on some chamber music and just enjoy watching. We have a lot of windows in our home. And so when it snows, it's like living inside of a snow globe. It's wonderful. But it occurred to me the other day, when I was taking down our Thanksgiving decorations and started to sort of transition out of Thanksgiving and into Christmas, that winter really is a time for us to sort of rest and recalibrate and kind of tuck our hearts away, I think, for the next season of planting. And if you look at the seasons that God gives us to pour into our communities, to pour into our children, to pour into, uh, ministry that he's, you know, put on our heart or whatever it is, we have to take some time away to rest and to ask the Lord to just fill us back up again, give us vision and passion. And so I hope you guys, for those of you, especially who are tired, I hope that you will take a little bit of time as the Lord gives it to you this season and pull away as a family, as a couple, whatever that looks like, and just ask the Lord to help you reset your heart. For the season ahead. So we have a little bit of time to sort of take a break. Christmas is one of those things that just allows you to focus on the gift really that God gave us in Jesus and on our families and on the things that matter to us. And there are going to be very busy seasons ahead. And so that's sort of what the Lord's been putting on my heart lately, this, this season of rest and preparation, rest from the struggle, rest from the Rona, rest from all of it, because 
God is in the business of restoration. And I think something big is coming. I think God is doing amazing things. And I hope you guys are taking some time this season to just really come before the Lord and get some quiet into your lives. I think we, uh, at least I do, I know for sure, just really, really need that. So that's my little encouragement for you today. Your questions have been coming in just fast and furious here. I love that. The staff is categorizing them. And we love to hear from you. HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday is how you can do that. But I'm going to go ahead and jump into some of your questions today because uh, some really good ones are coming in. And you're also sending me your off the bench stories, which I love that Amy in Indiana. She said, Heidi, we have flipped our school board. Oh, my goodness. I love this. She goes, Heidi, I love your show and appreciate all the truth that you share. Thank you, Amy. I live in a suburb outside of Indianapolis called Fishers. Well, guess what? I know exactly where that is. I've spoken there several times. Beautiful part of the country. The county I used to live in was solid red, but unfortunately has been turning purple in the last five to 10 years. Our city, which is probably the most woke in the county. Yes, they accept grants from Eli Lilly. Ooh, just flipped the school board. Oh my goodness, Amy. I can hear you hooting and hollering from here. My kids have been homeschooled since 2020. But I was so happy to be able to help vote in the new board members. Although most of the other cities in our county still have a pretty blue school board, I hope that seeing our school board make some changes will cause voters to change their mind in the future. I know we didn't get the red wave we were hoping for a few weeks back, but this election was a huge win for the families in Fishers. Now, here's the thing, Amy. I think this is actually happening all over the country and we don't hear about it very much because frankly, it doesn't sell papers, right? It's not going to get people, you know, clicking on it and uh, getting money to Google and all the search engines. But we're starting to hear more and more from people who are saying, hey, it might have been rough where you are, but we had a huge win over here. And so, Amy, thanks for sending that in. You guys, I want to hear some good news. So send me your good news and I'm going to start reading it all through the month of December because as 2022 winds to a close, I frankly think we need all the good news that we can get. So you send me your good news and I will read it on the air. The next one comes from Marnie in Minnesota. She wants to know, what is my elevator pitch for parents who don't want social emotional learning taught in the schools? Okay. This is a really great question. Uh, I'm going to give you four points. So I, I was thinking about it right before I came on the air. I'm going to give you four points that I would give if somebody were to stop me and say, hey, you know, what are your quick reasons why you don't want social emotional learning? Number one thing that came to my mind, it trades in reason for emotion. We're teaching our kids not to think with social emotional learning. We're teaching them to feel. And we all know, especially as women, we all know how absolutely uh insane our emotions can be, right? So our emotions can be all over the map, depending on where we are hormonally. It can depend very much on what's happening around us. We cannot rely on our emotions. Are emotions important? Yes. But should they be the thing that determines what is true and which way, which direction we should take our lives? Probably not. Second thing is, this is emotionally manipulating children. I gave you guys a huge big thing on it. If you want to hear my last podcast on social emotional learning, go back and listen to it. But this is emotionally manipulating our children. And three, it replaces parents with, quote, caring teachers or psychiatrists. Listen, it is not the job of the school to teach your children to be emotionally aware. That is the job of parents. Parents are who, who is supposed to be teaching children right from wrong. The schools are supposed to go in and back up the parent. 
And that's not happening anymore. What we're seeing is the schools are starting to take the place of the parents, even shoving the parents to the corners. I hate that. And finally, number four, data mining. So think um, like a social emotional credit score. So you guys have heard about the social credit score that uh, people in China are getting. And if you want to see what's happening in China, they're trying to scare the whole world into a lockdown again. So they're locking down their people uh, over the Rona. And if you want to see where the social emotional learning is going, just check out the credit scores that they give to people in China. And this is what they're doing. They're data mining your kit. And so they're keeping track of all this stuff and it's going to follow your kids all the way to the workforce. So start thinking about social emotional learning as like a social emotional credit score. It's going to follow your child for the rest of his life. And to me, that's enough reason right there to just say run for your life. From social emotional learning. And I've said it a hundred times. I'm going to keep saying it. Pull your children out of public school. The public schools are not safe places for children. They are not helping parents. The kids are failing reading, writing, arithmetic. They're failing everywhere that it matters. And our kids are being instead indoctrinated into this radical gender ideology, into critical race theory, social emotional learning, uh, comprehensive sex education. I could sit here for three solid hours and give you a hundred reasons why you need to pull your children out of public school. And we're coming to a break right now, you guys. It's December. So if you're sitting on the fence going, gosh, I just don't know if I should send my kid back to public school in January. That's another good reason for you to pull them out of school. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Last question I'm going to take today comes from an anonymous listener in Minnesota And she wrote in to say, Dear Heidi, how do you deal with a spouse who is verbally abusive, never physical? When confronted, he just gets worse. He doesn't believe he is wrong. It's everyone else's fault. The kids stand up for me. I try to protect them, but it's gotten worse since he had a head injury. We've reached out for help, but because he puts up a religious front, we are not believed. My self-esteem is about zero. The kids will all be moving out soon and they know it's not right and do not want to be like their dad. They are scared for me when they move out. Again, how do you deal with a verbally abusive spouse? All right. So first of all, uh, it's a lie. You know, we all heard, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is not true. And abusers who use their tongue to injure their victims or the people that live in their families who are just have no choice but to listen to them, it really does Stick with you for the rest of your life. Luke chapter six, verse 45 says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, but the evil person out of the the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And when you said that uh, your husband is hurting you and your kids are worried about you. The image that comes to my mind is out of Proverbs twelve eighteen, where it says that rash words are like sword thrusts. And they really are. We can all think of times that we have said things that we wish we could take back. And I've mentioned this to you guys many times before. You know, for those of you who are listening and you're the one who is thrusting the sword, 
there will come a point in which your apology will mean nothing. Because when you continue to say, when you continue to do the thing that is so hurtful and then you go, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it, I've had a bad day. How about just stop making excuses for your lack of decorum in the way that you speak to your family, your friends? How about stop saying, well, I was tired and just start speaking the way that God would want you to speak? Uh, the, Bible, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so we need to be considering not just the the anonymous listener in Minnesota who wrote into me today, but we all need to take a step back and consider what are our words doing? Are they bringing hope and life or are they bringing death and suffering? Because that is exactly where we are right now. The Bible is very, very clear on what God expects from the marriage relationship. And when you told me that the the you know, your husband is sort of hiding behind religion. That frustrated me because that was certainly the situation in my family growing up. I watched my mom reach out for help, but because my dad was a Sunday school teacher in our school, we either weren't believed or we were given, you know, verses about wives submitted to your husband, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so is it wrong for wives to submit to your husbands? You tell me. Let's look what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. Now, we, so we've heard, so Paul has set up what God has created. So, so God has established leadership. God is the creator, right? And so as the creator, he has established a hierarchy. It doesn't mean that the wife is worth less than her husband. It means that there has to be a structure for every relationship, right? And so Paul is laying it out. The church submits to Christ, wives submit to their husbands. And then he goes on to say, this is what God expects from husbands. So listen to this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to go back to verse 25 for just a moment, because when we're unwilling to address what the instruction, I've heard a million sermons on how wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, and it's absolutely true. And I've been married for 33 years to my husband. And the way that we have always seen this, or I have always seen it in my relationship with him is that he has something that I would call veto power, right? So if Jay and I have a difference of opinion, if I want to go one way and he wants to go another way, at the end of the day, according to the Bible, Jay will answer for the direction that he takes our family and the way that he leads our home. But he is the the final decision maker in our house. Now, it's much, I've never met uh, a wife who was married to a wonderful man who loved her, who did not just want to, listen to her husband, to partner with him. I cannot imagine in all the, and I grew up in a very different environment. And so I've seen it both ways, but I cannot imagine my husband ever making a serious decision in which I was absolutely 100% in disagreement with him. We want to be unified. We want our children to see a unified front. And if we are disagreement, if we are in a disagreement or if we disagree about something, particularly as it relates to the direction of our family or whether or not we're going to move or if he's going to take another job or even if we're going to buy a car, then Jay is going to slow down. And 
I can't even imagine him running out and just saying, hey, I bought the car. Sorry, you don't like it. That flies in the face of verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did I actually think husbands have a harder role here? What did Christ do for the church? He died for her. He served the church. Why? So that she could be the spotless lamb of God talking about how just, you know, God is sending his son. Jesus is giving up his life for the church that he might sanctify. In other words, that sanctification, which we've been talking about in the Bible study all month, making her uh, into the thing that God has created her to be. Husbands have a tremendous responsibility to love their wives and to live in an understanding way with their wives. The Bible goes on to say in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Boy, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that verse. But the Bible does not, the, what I'm trying to say to you is that the Bible does not let your, your husband off the hook because he's the leader in your home. If, if you're living with a man who is verbally abusing you, I'm going to encourage you with everything that's in me. First of all, I'd be talking. Talk to your pastors. Talk to the people that are around you. Because what's happening is your marriage is being undermined every single time that happens. Now, people are going to write into me all the time. Is this a reason for divorce? The Bible lists two reasons for divorce. Uh, abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. So that's 1 Corinthians 7, 15. I'll read it to you. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. That's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The other reason, of course, and we all know this one, is adultery. Matthew 5, 32. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Listen, the Bible is very clear. It is always better to reconcile, if possible, than divorce. And every time you guys are exchanging harsh words between you, your children are watching what you are doing and you are setting them up to treat their spouse the same way that they are watching your spouse treat you or you treat your husband, right? And so if you're in an abusive relationship, I'm going to encourage you never, never, never stay in an abusive relationship. There is nothing in the Bible that says that you have to stay with an abuser, nothing in the Bible that says that you can't leave. And in fact, I would argue the opposite. I don't think there's anything good about staying in a situation where you are being abused emotionally or physically or your children are being abused, right? This is never God's heart. I just read you God's heart for husbands when it comes to their wives. They are to love her to live in an understanding way, to love her like Christ of the church. How did Christ love the church? He laid his life down for her, right? So when you when you read God's clear to command to women to submit to, or wives rather, to submit to their own husbands, also include that husbands are supposed to be loving their wives. And whenever we are, we're walking outside of God's clear command, expect things to be bumpy. They're not gonna go well. I grew up in a home like this and I understand how the church turns a blind eye often to the suffering, particularly of women inside abusive relationships. Now, I've also seen it the other way, you know, so lest you guys just think that I'm over here thinking, well, it's only the men who are ever abusive. I have absolutely seen it the other way. I've been in situations 
uh, where I have seen women just absolutely henpeck their husbands and treat them with such disrespect and such dishonor that it is absolutely heartbreaking to watch. These are not the kinds of relationships that God is talking about in his word. And so I just want to encourage you always, always, always get help. Don't keep this to yourself. It's telling that your children are worried about what's going to happen to you when you're outside, when they leave the home. They shouldn't feel that way. And so I would be talking, uh, you know, sin, it's like mold. It grows in the dark. Shine a light on it. Shine a light on it. Talk until someone listens to you. Find someone who knows the word of God and can actually help and counsel you through this. And again, there's nothing unbiblical about separating from an abuser. I think it's, in fact, morally right to protect yourself, to protect your children. And uh, can I just also say, having come from a home like that, uh, where, you know, we spent years and years and years growing up, you know, and I wondered, when is this thing ever going to get better? And it just simply never did. There is healing available to you. There is healing for children that grow up in homes like that. God is the healer. And if you're in in a marriage right now that you are suffering in, it doesn't even have to be an abusive marriage, especially, I would say, for those of you who are just in a marginal marriage. God doesn't want your marriages to be marginal. He wants them to thrive. For this reason, a husband should leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. There is something so precious about a one flesh relationship, and it requires both the husband and the wife to be walking in right relationship with the Lord. In the 33 years that I have been married to my husband, uh, and we've had, I'm forgetting to say, we've had our ups and downs, right? And I've talked about a lot of them here at the show, and I've written about some of them in the books that I've written. But at the end of the day, marriage is a gift from the Lord. And when you guys are walking in right relationship with him, the fruit of a good marriage lasts for generations. And this is why I think it is under such attack in the culture. Absolutely under attack politically. It's certainly under attack uh, by various groups of people, particularly inside of the LGBTQ community, if that's what you want to call it. And this is an attack against God himself because God is the creator of marriage. But God wants husbands to love their wives like, like Christ loved the church. And women, you are called to respect your husband. Uh, there's one, you know, the sermon after sermon after sermon, you guys can, you know, probably, you know, well, don't use Google. I hate Google, but find a, a search engine of your choice. I prefer one called SwissCows.com. If you've never heard of it, my friend Kim introduced me about a year and a half ago, and I love SwissCows.com. It's a great search engine. But I would just say search for some really good teaching on uh, Ephesians 5 and lean into what God says about a husband and a wife. Because when your marriage is healthy, your children have a much better chance at having healthy marriages themselves. All right, that's all the questions that I have time for today. I was going to try to get to one more, but I'll see if I can't get to it tomorrow. You guys, this is the time of year that we love to hear from you here at the Homeschool Resource Center. And if you are blessed by this ministry, blessed by the podcast, if you'd like to see a Homeschool Resource Center open up in your neck of the woods, we're moving that direction. We would love for you to support this ministry financially. Uh, Firmly Planted Family is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we would love to hear from you, you can you can uh, contact Firmly Planted Family at firmlyplantedfamily.org, FPF.org, uh, or you can just go to FPHRC to check out the Homeschool Resource Center. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see your Christmas cards. I'm going to put them all over the walls here at the Homeschool Resource Center. You can write to me, Heidi St. John, care of Firmly Planted Family, 11100 Northeast 34th Circle, Vancouver, Washington. Yep, I'm still here. 
9682. Have a great day, everybody. Love your families well. And I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith 